Are you all ready for this episode of Market Like a Badass? I'm Kristen McFarland, your podcast creator and founder and CEO of The Source Marketing Group. At The Source, we're hyper-focused on serving the cannabis and craft beer market. And because cannabis is highly regulated and a new emerging industry that's still gaining legitimacy, many outsiders are wondering how to break into the industry. On the other hand, industry veterans are trying to firm up their processes, deliver badass brand experiences, and be as intentional as possible about their spending habits. On today's episode, I'm bringing on a cannabis badass who has purchased over $500 million worth of cannabis. And with great power comes great processes. And I don't know about you, but I've never purchased $500 million worth of cannabis. So I can't wait for the knowledge that's about to be shared on today's episode. Today, we're going to hear from special guest Sarah Batesh from Batesh Buying Group about how to enter the cannabis industry, how cannabis business owners can develop their processes, vendor relationships and forecasting, and find market voids so you know what consumers want and can deliver those top-notch brand experiences. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, Kristen. This is so fun. <laughs> yes, I'm so glad to have you on. And thanks for, uh, you know, putting up with me and all my technical difficulties. And I'm excited to to have you on the show. So tell our audience a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Sarah Batesh, and I am a professional um, cannabis buyer. Um, and I love product. I love buying cannabis. Um, more specifically, I'm the founder of Vitesh Buying Group, which I built based on my uh, over 12 years of experience as a buyer um, in the apparel world and the fashion world, um, working for some of the world's largest apparel, fashion, and retail companies. Um, and over the past five years or so, I've been working in the cannabis space and um, recently st- uh, launched my own company so I can be able to help um, those that are emerging into the space or trying to sophisticate their process. Wow. It's amazing. I, I love what you do. And I think it's unique and a different perspective because it's so impactful for cannabis businesses, but I don't know that everybody's really thinking about that. And, um, from your story, it sounds like, you know, even advocating for yourself to get your, some of your initial jobs, um, allowed you to get into the industry and help people streamline processes where maybe they didn't even know they had an issue to begin with. Right. And I always say you might love the plant, but, um, that's some, you know, love isn't always enough. So, um, (laughs) I want to help you understand that you can be passionate about your job. You can be passionate about the plant. You can be passionate about the medicine. Um, but that, but you might not necessarily be, um, uh, you know, a, a, a excellent business owner. So I'm, I want to help you understand how to do that and still be able to, and still be able to respect and love the plant. Hell yes. Well, and before we dive into the nitty gritty of that, because I know you're going to have a lot of good details to share, I want to talk about the very first topic 
in general of like how to enter the cannabis industry. You've been in here five years. You're a woman in cannabis. Woo! Uh, that's huge in and of itself. You know, we we need more diversity in cannabis. And so um, can you offer some insights into how, how easy or hard it is for someone to make that transition into cannabis? And, and what did that look like for you? Yeah, I think um, that's a lot of people ask me those questions. And as more states are um, uh, gaining access to recreational cannabis and regulations, um, I think there's so many more people that want to that want to get involved. Um, and mm-hmm. I get this question often. Um, for me, my story starts with um, I actually in 2018 um, it became recreationally legal in California. Before then, I you know always had my guy or my girl or a friend that would go in and use their medical license. So uh, I was dro- I remember being like, I just want to like go into the store. I really want to see, I want to just be able to buy cannabis like I was buying my wine or my, you know, my pharmaceuticals or my whatever, even more fun stuff, my groceries, whatever. And so I saw at the time there was only a few stores that, you know, they received their licenses um, earlier than others. Um, and so they were able to open and, uh, men, men was one of those stores and there was a huge line in West Hollywood. And I'm like, I'm not trying to stand in line. So, um, a friend of mine had posted, she was a, um, uh, the HR uh, talent recruiter for MedMen, Um, and she had posted like, I think on like LinkedIn or Facebook or something like really just not official. And, um, she was like, Hey, like we need help, like stickering items and like, like organizing inventory it would be like an overnight shift we'd pay you like minimum wage um it would be like 11 p.m to like 7 a.m at our santa Ana location in orange county and i just said i just want to see what these stores look like because i'm not going to wait in a two-hour line so i want to find out so i said i'm not i'm have plenty of experience in retail let me just go check it out so my now husband and I drove down and we were, you know, really excited to go work there and we were watching the process and um, kind of everything that I was doing there, I was like, oh, well, this is, I, I, you know, there's a better way to do this. There's a better way to do that. I wonder why they're doing it this way. And kind of everything, all the curiosity was coming into how their process was and why it was taking two hours to sticker an item, you know, how can we get those down? And I'm always thinking how do I, how do I become more efficient in everything that I do? So I remember at the time, um, I looked over to my husband and I said, um, I'm, 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 I'm about to take over right, right now. And he was like, Oh my God, please no. Like, this is so embarrassing. It's like when your mom comes in and tries to like, you know, teach like soccer practice and you're like, mom, it's <laughs> yes. so embarrassing. Yes. So, you're like, honey, no, let, let yeah. me do this. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to just do it. And so I did. And I would just kind of grab the attention of the room. And I was like, okay, let's like, this is the, this is what we need to do. Like our end goal is this, and this is how we should get there. And so afterward I was like very intrigued and I knew that there was many more stores that MedMen was going to open. And I really fell in love with their, uh, their mission was simply in the beginning was to mainstream marijuana. And I was like, yeah, let's, how do we do that and normalize the process? So from then on, I, um, I went over and spoke to uh, my HR um, talent acquisition person, and she, uh, I was like, do you guys need a buyer? And she's like, sure, we don't know. Come on in. So I interviewed, and um, at the time, um, 
the gentleman that was running the supply chain department, he came from retail and he used to work with buyers as well. And he recognized that I was not only a supply chain asset, but I was also a re like I had the background of a retailer and a buyer. And he kind of just told me, hey, I have an inventory management position available. You can do that. But I think you would be bored because you have a buyer personality. So then he was like, why don't you go talk to the buying team? So I talked to the raw materials buying team and they were in charge of, you know, a vast amount, like down to like IT equipment and like just tons of things. And that person as well that was leading that department had come from Hot Topic um, as a buyer. And she was like, you are a retail buyer. You're not a purchasing buyer, procurement buyer, which are two different things. Um, and I was like, thank you for noticing. And she's like, why don't you go talk to the cannabis team? So I talked to the cannabis team and they were very knowledgeable on cannabis, not so knowledgeable on the process. And I remember in the meeting, they were, you know, after I was talking to them, they were like, wow, we didn't even know that buying was a profession. And I was like, you know what, let's trade knowledge. You teach me cannabis. I already smoke it. I know that, but like you teach me the nuances. I'll teach you the buying. Let's trade some knowledge. And we're, you know, together, you know, I'm going to learn cannabis in three months and you're going to learn buying in three months. Like, I mean, let's work together. And so, wow, that's, that's really a great win-win. Yeah, I think, I think they were happy. Um, and, you know, all those people that I worked with, most of them are still working in the buying department. And I think like, I'm, you know, I, I think that we both benefited from, from that and we became experts in our field both ways reciprocating knowledge. So that was, that's how, and so when people ask me how can they enter the cannabis space, I say, hey, don't be afraid to go be a bud tender for a few months and like learn about the plant and learn about the process and learn about what the consumer wants from you because you're going to ask them lifestyle questions and they're going to tell you, hey, nine out of 10 times they're coming in there. If they're, if they're kind of curious, that phrase that we're, that we love to use, um, if they're kind of curious, they're probably coming because their back hurts or they can't sleep. Like there's, and then, and you as a butt tender should, are going to ask them lifestyle questions to get them to, um, be, to solve those problems and give them a use case for cannabis. Um, other than that, you know, it's the recreational consumer lucky enough. They sleep like angels and they don't need targeted sleep products, but for the most part, you want, you if you're working in the store as a bartender, you're there to help your consumer solve a problem and understanding those issues will help you emerge yourself into the cannabis space and kind of understand which lane you would, we would be able to work best in. Yes. And, and you don't get stuck into that position, but you really get a chance to learn the industry. My friend Bianca, who's also a woman in cannabis got started being a bud tender. And now she, um, I think she's doing like a, a customer management role at trees, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's a yeah. lot of really cool stuff to do to like, you know, move your way up in the industry. And um curious if you have any other advice for women specifically trying to break into the industry, because there's not a lot of us already that are here. Mm-hmm. Um, I always like to say like, connect with the established women that you can and get that support. But what else is there for, for women trying to enter the space? Totally. I think um, for me, I've been in a lot of rooms where I was the only woman and I was the only person that had buying experience and I've had sales experience and I can empathize with, um, you know, the salespeople out there. Um, I totally understand what it's like to be that person and to um, try to try to, you know, gain traction. Um, 
for me though, the way I think about it is that uh, on the retail side, um, uh, most of your consumers are women. So like, and they're, and also they're shopping for their um, respective partners. So like you should like a woman's opinion and a woman's like knowledge in this, in the shopping space is extremely beneficial and it's so interesting to hear a lot of my sales reps that i have become close with over the years um mainly like the women actually because we're just drawn to each other they're telling me that 90 percent of their buyers that they talk to or you know what's that saying um 80 of statistics are made up on the spot so they're saying 90 percent of their um buyers that they're talking to are men and i found that so strange because i came from fashion apparel where 90% of them were women. So wow. like I, and it, most of it, like if you found a male buyer that was like, like very, very interesting and rare, even like a buyer that's purchasing like men's clothing is usually a woman. So um, the, and like, you know, of course there's room for men that we have equality in fashion, I guess. But, um, <laughs> but in cannabis, I think it's even more so because um, maybe these women aren't, as open with their cannabis consumption because there is even an extra layer of stigma. Yeah, um, very true. Um, or their mothers and it's like, oh my God, mm-hmm. like I can't be known as somebody who is using cannabis. Um, you know, we are, we can get pregnant and men can't and so, or yet that I know of. And um, you maybe there's stigma around that because there's no um, education really around it because I don't think many women are going to admit that they have consumed while they were in their gestational period. So um, there is, I think there's a lot of stigma there, but, Mm -hmm. um, and I also think that there's a, there's a, like, I find that um, uh, many marketers in the cannabis industry, I feel like there's more women in that um, field. So I think it's also just segmented on the type of job. Um, mm, yep. and like in supply chain, it's usually like more male driven. Um, and I don't know if that has to do with like, just, they're just drawn to that. Um, but even when I was like made, you know, I majored in supply chain, it was mainly men. So, um, yeah. Well, I will say I, I when you brought up the gestational period, it reminded me of <laughs> Canamami. So shout out yes. to that nonprofit educating, um, women who want to consume while they're pregnant or, or even just being a mom and, and wanting to consume. So um, that's headed up by another badass female in business. So I had to stop and give a shout out there. Totally. I need her number because I'm going to have that type of, I'm going to need support in the future. <laughs> yes. Yes. Shout out to Kelly. Um, all right. So next I want to talk about mastering the cannabis industry. You're a badass and you've done a, a lot in terms of streamlining processes and, and buying a lot of cannabis. But, um, you know, with that comes a lot around like how to really maintain vendor relationships and a lot of lessons learned. So as someone with massive amounts of experience working with vendors across the nation, what recommendations do you have for cannabis dispensary owners on building and maintaining relationships in this space? And what, what impact does that have on their bottom line? Yeah. So I like believe that, um, process is going to make or break your business um, because a lot of I've seen a lot of instances and even in longer established um, industries such as fashion I've seen business 
crash in a three month maternity leave period when an, uh, when wow. a buyer when a buyer goes on maternity leave and they you know they're leaving their business to their assistant buyer or their senior buyer or even somebody from another department comes in to manage the business I've seen that break down in a matter of months um, simply because there was no training or backup or process in place and everything and this rock star superstar buyer has all of their information in their head and then they go on vacation or maternity leave or something like that. And then like their business is kind of trash. So um, I've seen that firsthand. Um, So to me, it's super important that when you're working in these, especially if you're working in like a larger office environment and everything and the processes are centralized, um, it's very important to make sure that you have a backup person and that you're training this person. Because in my opinion, and I can speak to buying is that, um, there's no such thing as a career buyer. You want to always be able to do the next thing. And if there's nobody that can, you know, if you don't, you don't want to be a, re- you don't, I always say you don't want to be irreplaceable at work because then you really can't grow into the next role or into the next, next option. Um, because you have nobody backing you up to be able to do your job that you've been doing so great at for the past few years. And then that causes a lot of, um, a, a turmoil and resentment because then you're not getting you're not getting promoted because you're irre, you're simply irreplaceable and yep. um wow. now you now you can't make more money and you can't get a higher title and um because you just don't have anybody reporting to you that's that you're taking the time to train and mentor um and and you're developing the process and you're instilling the process in them um and one really simple example was I didn't take a vacation for a whole year when I first worked at MedMen because it was just very busy. And like, I'm talking like full two week vacation, like overseas, like kind of vacation, like that's how I party. And so like, you know, taking a weekend vacation is fun, but I'm talking like everybody should be able to take a two week vacation if they choose oh, yeah. to, and they should like be able to leave. So I remember one of our highest selling um, products, which was like, you know, we were always under a lot of fire if it was out of stock and like, you know, due to many different reasons on, on the vendor part or on retailer part or on receiving process, a million different reasons why it's not on the shelf constantly. And it was super popular. And, um, I remember I went on vacation. I uh, went on the, for the first time in my second year and I went to the Philippines for two weeks. And when I came back, um, I was like, wow, I had no emails that were like, you know, life goes on without me, I guess. And my assistant was like, Oh my God. He's like, I had a freak out moment when I realized that we were running low on stock on the product. But then I realized that you had had me put in a purchase order two weeks before you went on vacation to the vendor and that the vendor already knew that they needed to deliver on this date three weeks in advance. So they had three weeks to make sure they had the inventory, make sure they had everything and that it delivered the week that you were gone and then we were completely in stock and we had no, um, we had no stock outs. And I was like, yes, because I put the process in place with the vendor and I gave them my expectations and they had all the information they needed upfront and they knew when to deliver. And you as my assistant buyer were able to just manage and make sure that all of that was, was working and that the product is in the store rather than having to start from the beginning and be like, Oh, Oh crap. Like we only have two left and now I need to scramble and I have to stop everything I'm doing. But then you realize that I already thought of that in advance because part of my job as your buyer, as your boss is to also make your job easier. 
So yep. I'm not, I don't want you to freak out and then call me while I'm in the Philippines snorkeling because I'm busy. So. Yeah, that's the last thing you want. Exactly. Well, and I guess how, how do you do that with vendors then? I mean, you're doing, you're, you're keeping them in the loop for big moments like that, maybe by email or do you meet with them regularly to maintain those relationships? Yep. Yeah, exactly. So I, um, yes, you're maintaining the relationships, especially if they're, um, if they're supplying you with a product that is important to your, your sales and your revenue, um, and that your customer is now used to seeing and needs that, that becomes part of your core assortment. So those are your strategic partners and your strategic vendor relationships that you have. And those are, those become, um, you 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 uh, nurture those relationships over the time that you've known them, which is why it's so important that I've had these relationships for five years, and I can bring those relationships into any new clients that I'm working with, because they kind of check off like the Patesh Buying Group criteria of like, do they deliver on time? Are they responsive? Do they have the right product? Are they willing to innovate? Are they willing to work with me on you know? price and retail and are they actually doing the research with the consumer and saying like this is what they want and this is how much it should cost for them um you know and it's a partnership it's back and forth um so yes you and by doing so you keep in contact with them um and but you also have to be extremely open to new products out there and you need to be able to take a moment and take maybe a day or a couple meetings with new and emerging brands because you never know what's the new hot thing and you as the buyer you need to be able to to forecast those trends and say hey i think the next big thing is going to be you know cannabis infused spaghetti so like i better get on you know i better take this meeting with this spaghetti guy because um yes because hey i just saw a a keef pizza i mean it's you know some of those things again it's it's a novelty it's like some of those little things that can, you know, bring a consumer in and, you know, it's, it may not be the the best in terms of your profit margin, but it's something that's memorable that people are going to post, you know, and, totally. and so those are the, the really, yeah, fun, fun things that vendors may come to you with. And earlier you, I think I, I heard you mention centralized buying process. Yeah. And can you talk more about what that is? I know that you had worked with MedMen, I believe, to set up their centralized buying process, but yeah, how does that help scale processes and, and actually save the company money? Cause that's what we all care about. Yeah. yeah. So the centralized buying process really is not anything new, um, in terms of, uh, in terms of the like retail industry. Um, this really just means that you have, um, rather than having somebody at each store location purchasing for that store, like uh, for instance, like a grocery store would have that um, for local products then, or maybe if they're purchasing from like local farmers, um, they might have like a purchasing, a purchasing manager in the store that's purchasing their, their flat, their florals. Right. Cause like you can't got it. Yeah. Not gonna order your flowers from this Mississippi and ship them to somewhere, you know? So you have those, like definitely have that grocery store mentality of like local and freshness, but for the most part, the box goods that you're seeing in 80% of the store is coming from different manufacturers. And that's coming from a centralized buying process that is purchasing from more than one location, right? So I'm interested in working with 
with stores that um, not you know if they have one store that's fantastic I love mom and pop but if they have two three four licenses how are they going to scale that process because managing inventory for one store is very different than managing from two stores but managing five stores is very much the same as managing 20 stores so um, as if you have the process like set up and you have the the, the correct um, training and and process across like not just buying like the the process that's supporting the buying before it gets to me and after it leaves my you know after I purchase it what's happening in, at the store level like how are they receiving the inventory how are they merchandising like there's a lot of things in this that touch in the supply chain that I affect but I don't necessarily um take part in uh, as a hands-on thing so mm-hmm. um so for me, so yeah, so Men Men was my first kind of foyer into that um, centralized buying space, but it was really just me learning from, I worked um, at Ross uh, Ross stores um, and I worked there in New York and then I also worked in LA and they have over 1200 stores and they have, you know, centralized distribution process. They have pooled um, distribution centers um, in different parts of the country. Um, so they're able to like service their stores quickly. Um, they have, you know, over 500 buyers that work there down to wow. like nitty gritty, like I buy only woven button down shirts. Um, and then this buyer only buys scented candles. Like it's very, you know, it's a department store. So they have a lot of stuff there. Yeah. Um, do, do any MSOs buy like that? Like I'm only buying concentrates and right. I, so, yeah. Exactly. That's an excellent um, question because that is when I came to MedMen, I was like, hey, well, like I'll, you know, it would, it would make sense that you would have somebody, you know, most of our business comes from flower, pre-rolls and vapes. So it makes sense that like you have your, like your key senior buyer that's like purchasing those three items. And then you have somebody purchasing concentrates, like you mentioned, et cetera. Um, what we've come to find is that um, our vendor base is essentially one. Um, meaning like each vendor or each brand doesn't n- only sell pre-rolls or only sell flour. So then it would become very um, difficult for our vendors because we're thinking of them too, um, for them to be like, well, I have to talk to six different people to like sell. Yeah, one what a pain. <laughs> and con- yeah, and concentrates are like 1%, 2%, 3% of the business what are you going to hire somebody to only buy concentrates every two weeks? So it kind of made like sense for me to take on the whole thing. However, one, I had three assistant buyers at the height of our um, uh, success and there, then I was able to parse out, well, Hey, you know, assistant buyer, you're going to focus on concentrates. You're going to focus on like new product releases and you're going to focus on, um, you know, uh, uh, accessories, um, non-cannabis items. Um, along with everything else, but I kind of would manage at the top and have those three focus on it and then really mentor them because they, you know, a lot of times would be like, I want to buy this. So I'd be like, why? And then they would be like, because it's cool. And you're like, well, let's like review, I, you know, let's review reports every single week focused only on concentrates. And then you're going to start to see that you're not, you know, maybe you're not selling as much, or maybe you need to invest more in hash and less in rosin, like, et cetera. And like those trends change and have definitely evolved. Um, So, and and that's how you impact the bottom line, right? I mean, because you're looking at those trends to understand you're either saving money on product that won't sell or you're making decisions that'll increase, you know, the the purchase of other items. 
you're always trying to figure out like what if a subcategory of something can become a category meaning like if you're looking at concentrates and you're like hey there's hash there's rosin there's resin there's um uh you know and there are those three topics let's just say those three now you're like okay but within hash there's powdered hash there's temple balls there's um you know red hash there's green powder there's you know there's four or five different things is hash now large enough to become its own category where all of these smaller little attributes live under the hash world it doesn't make sense for me to invest now in more hash or is it more is it still very small portion of the concentrates and it just lives under concentrates and we just kind of track like okay well most of our sales come from temple balls so we're just going to make sure we ha always are in stock of temple balls or is it like you know is hash now becoming like the new cool thing and now we have to expand and say hey let's look for hash infused pre-rolls let's look for hash infused you know spaghetti i love spaghetti but like whatever <laughs> i can't <laughs> so, wait till that comes to market you're we're manifesting here <laughs> i like pasta um so yeah so i think um having like being able to have foresight and understanding like the understanding if something is large enough to become a business because if it's not then like why are you like spending any more time on it because if you're only having a two thousand dollar return and i'm spending two weeks on this the company yep. already paid me more than they're going to actually make off of this product. Yes, exactly. And, and that's, so that's basically kind of how you would find what a consumer wants to buy from a dispensary. You're looking at that data, you're doing the reporting and, and being really data driven with your decisions. Yes. And this also strengthens your vendor relationships because you're able to then go back to them and say, Hey, your hash did like really great. Like what if we, decided to do uh you know the red powder uh sold better than the green powder so let's purchase oh, yeah. more let's put let's invest more in the red and that's giving your vendor also an idea because maybe they're investing too much time in the green powder and like they shouldn't because people aren't really purchasing that and so now they should put their investment and their time and their money and their labor into the stuff that's actually selling so it's very like it's it's you need to be able to relay this data and this information to your vendors because they are i'm not making the weed so like yep. you know i'm not making the hash so they like i need to give them the information so then they in turn are going to increase my business which will increase their business yeah exactly we want everybody so to win easy. <laughs> so easy i mean whatever <laughs> i'm kidding <laughs> Now, um, this is a, an important one, and I, I am interested to hear what you'll say, but how do you identify product voids in hot markets? I mean, there's a lot yeah. of competition out there, so. Yeah, I think um, to in hot markets, well, first of all, it's really important that in we should talk about emerging markets and, and, and versus hot markets. So yeah. I think that in California, we've had a lot of history and a lot of data and a lot of um, a lot of analytics around like what's selling and we can kind of predict how it's going to go once a state becomes recreational you know accord you know according to their regulations but like once it becomes recreational you can kind of know like okay listen my top three products no surprise to anybody this is not an industry secret it's gonna be flour it's gonna be vapes it's gonna be pre-rolls it's gonna be gummies like so it's kind of like 
let's focus on those things. And yes, beverages are interesting. And yes, concentrates are interesting. And yes, even infused pre-rolls are interesting. But I don't even think that the consumer is ready for that. So what I say is that when it's an emerging industry, you want to focus on those categories that are actually going to keep uh, the lights on. And then um, afterward, once you create that core assortment, then you can go and say, okay, um, I see that, you know, uh, pre-rolls are doing really well. Um, great example is we used to always sell like one gram pre-rolls and then slowly now it's evolving into the dog walkers, into the, um, into like uh, the smaller, you know, half grams or 0.3 gram pre-rolls. That wasn't always a thing. Like <laughs> everybody was selling me big fat one grams, which are great. And then ask me as a consumer, I'm like, I don't even want to smoke all this. I just do it because it's already lit and like whatever, but like, I'm not yeah. getting like any higher and I don't want to relight it later. Cause it's, you know, the taste is a little off, but like, uh, live well just started selling the, the little, like the five, they come in a pack of five and honestly the dog walkers are great. I mean, yeah. And then I have, I, I always joke about, um, my favorite ones are, um, selfies, um, and that was like kind of like the first like mini mini pre rolls that we were purchasing at MedMen. There's there was a few other ones, but this was the one that like grabbed our attention because they made like a little two pack, um, uh, and that one was 0.25 grams. And I would jokingly, I think somebody must have told me, but they were like, oh, so like 0.3 grams is a dog walker and 0.25 grams is a cat walker because you don't want yeah. the cat. So. <laughs> I like so, that. Yeah, we'll so go anyway, with that. So, yeah, catwalkers. So, um, yeah, so I think that the those those products evolve and being able to recognize those voids, although it might not be, you know, it might not be like a, something that you're like, hey, we should invest in immediately, but you'll start to understand what your customer is purchasing and you can guide your vendors to start creating those dog walkers for you, for instance. Yes. I love it. More dog walkers. Yeah, I love those. <laughs> well, I, I, love- I love how innovative the industry is. So I, I'm always looking for what's next as a consumer i mean yeah uh, you know buddy of mine went to his house and he was so proud i got a puffco you want to smoke <laughs> yeah <it? laughs> nice. and uh you know it's just yeah it's just a little the little things in life um so how should business owners forecast in order to successfully manage inventory and cash flow yeah so that actually starts with your data entry so um, many of our, um, I've, I've noticed with a lot of my clients is they do not enter attributes like we mentioned earlier, like cash infused or rosin infused or um, even down to the color of the packaging or whatever. They don't really enter those attributes until they are receiving the product in the store. So you're kind of like just leaving it up to the person in the store who is receiving the inventory. Um where it becomes more sophisticated and where you're able to make true forecasts and understand your trends is when you as the buyer or your assistant buyer or whoever is entering your purchase orders before you receive the inventory, if they're entering all those attributes and all those details into the system, then I can later pull reports and say, hey, I want to know how my hash infused pre-rolls are doing compared to my live resin infused um, pre or my, you know, what other things they like diamond infused, whatever. I want to see, compare them. And I want to see what percentage of the business is actually going towards each one of those attributes. So the only way to guarantee it is to have your, you enter it beforehand. And then as you get even more sophisticated, it, you have like certain number codes that you can type in and 
I did that all day at Best Buy. I was like, this shirt is blue. I mean, not Best Buy, excuse me, Ross. This shirt is blue. This pat fabric is woven. Um, it's cotton. It's, um, you know, contemporary versus uh, traditional. All of these attributes go in before. And then we receive the inventory and it's locked already to that skew. And then you can start to pull the reports and really understand how to forecast. Um, it just be, it gives you greater accuracy when you, the person oh, who's yeah. purchasing, is putting that information in. Look, I mean, the marketer in me, I'm like, data? Oh, I would yeah. love that. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. if you know your top sellers and you know the attributes that your consumers are resonating with, you can incorporate that into your messaging and your marketing material and far beyond what you're doing with your purchasing decisions. And totally. I, I it, It's crazy because... I feel bad for the hoops people have to jump through, like dispensaries or cannabis delivery. I mean, you know, if you're in a metric market, there's just so much data and paperwork, but yet we're not always being data-driven businesses because we're just trying to get through, you know, and trudge through the red tape and, and right. do our day-to-day. -day. And I think that's very important to take a step back and be like, what can we do ahead of these things? You know, what is yeah. our process for inputting this? So then on on the other end of it, we can get accurate reporting and make better decisions. Totally. Exactly. And you can really like figure out like what your voids are in your hot markets because maybe yep. you're or maybe somebody's been coding something incorrectly and you're like, whoa, I, on the other side of the spectrum, you're like, whoa, my hash infused pre-rolls are crazy selling. I'm going to go and buy more. And then you're like, wait, I don't think they're there. When I go into the store, they're still sitting on the shelf. And then you realize, oops, I entered the information correctly. And then that's something that you can fix. Um, and you yeah. can go back in history and fix, but going back in history and fixing things is really annoying. <laughs> so um, you want to make sure that you're as accurate as possible um, ahead of time and that you're working with like your planner. And it's important that you understand that a buyer in the traditional can in the traditional retail space, like we have resources and we have financial planners working with us and telling us how much, you know, money we should really focus and spend on certain categories. And we have category managers that are like, Hey, um, you know, this is something that we think is going to be, you know, we should purchase and, you know, you're a buyer and you're maybe managing inventory. Like there's, lots of resources and I don't think we have that in cannabis and we're just like not sophisticated enough to realize that the buyer is doing all of these different things and then what's even crazier is that they're also the general manager of the store and you're like this is like many jobs <laughs> like and they're the visual merchandiser and they're like making sure that like their employees are showing up on time and they're making sure that they're managing like the call outs and the, you know, you're kind of like more babysitting, like, because you're working with like people that are working in retail and maybe they're, they're, they're younger, they don't have that much experience. Like, you know, you're mentoring a lot of people and you have to deal with the customers that are like asking you all types of crazy shit. Like, it's just, I don't even know like how. It's a lot. I don't, I'm like, I feel bad for a general manager that's also a buyer. Like, I empathize. Like, that's hard. Yeah. I need a drink after just thinking about that. <laughs> it's very challenging. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, no wonder they're burnt out after, like, six months. Yeah. Like, or they're, like, quitting because they just need a break. 
Like, it's well, if so- you're if you're a multi location dispensary owner and you're listening to this podcast, you have an answer. She's sitting on this call. Take that duty away from your GMs. Get a centralized buying process and get the consulting that you need to make things just more improved, right? Make better sure. business decisions. Um, one of my last questions is more around the, the California market. I'm curious what you think about this. How do dispensary owners avoid the pitfalls of California's growing pains? Yeah. Um, unfortunately there's no magic answer to that, but, um, I think it's, it's surviving, um, all the different, you know, regulations and things that you have to jump through. But I think we've, we've figured out like a lot of, you know, loopholes, I guess you can say, or like ways to, you know, even in marketing, I'm sure you've had, you have your, your ways, um, to get around like certain regulations that they put onto you. Um, and I think that dispensary owners can avoid, the pitfalls by um, ordering their inventory because they need to really the issue is cash flow. So you need to yeah. be cat, you need to be green and you need to hold your cash and you need to have some form of, form of liquidity, which is really just a fancy way to say you need to have a savings account that is um, there for, for when you need to make opportunistic buys or um, you're expanding. Um, so I think the way that you can preserve your cash is um, just-in-time ordering, which is a supply chain term um, where you order literally just in time. So um, maybe you're having like lower weeks of supply, um, meaning like you're not holding on, you're not holding on to four weeks of supply of a concentrate because you probably don't have that fast of a turnover um, for concentrates, but maybe you have a four-week supply for flour um, because you sell, you know, hundreds more units, but at the same time you want to retain freshness and hot drops and like new strains. So you want to keep some money liquid for those kinds of opportunities and fresh drops and like, um, hot, like new items that are out there. Um, and you want to keep the freshness level on par, right? You don't want like super old flowers sitting on your shelf. And this also helps the vendor manage their cash flow because they're not all of a sudden being like, holy crap, we have a 60,000 unit order we have to fill. And now we need to like hire all these temporary employees to come in and like hand roll all the pre-rolls. And we don't have to overnight our packaging from China and like spend money on that stuff. And like, it's, that's what breaks down the system is when you put strains on the supply chain and you act out of fear and um and uh like uh what's the word I'm looking for like uh like you're you're being um reactive versus proactive yes yeah well and that's why from a financial standpoint or marketing standpoint whatever you're measuring you can look at lead and lag measures and figure out how to best you know be iterative you're not stuck in a certain way but to your point, keeping an eye on those things to figure out is, is just in time ordering the right strategy for me based off where I'm at and the cash flow that I have, you need to be as intentional as possible, you know, with your efforts. And so, um, I think you touched on something really important. And then I think the other, you know, another way to avoid a pitfall is just strong brand, right? Like the strong brands in cannabis, the ones that have a very clear target audience, very clear messaging, um, those are the ones that are going to be consistent and they'll win out because they're going to resonate. They're always delivering a top-notch brand experience. Every time you go into that retail dispensary, you know, you know what to expect. Um, I would say that's, that's the other side of it from, from my marketing (laughs) brain. Yeah. 
Totally. And it translates to almost every part, which is why the supply chain doesn't only refer to like one thing. It's literally the whole chain of supplies to get to of your entire business. And it includes marketing and it includes warehousing and it includes receiving process. And, and there's so many ways. And a lot of times I see like dispensary owners or um, business owners focus and put their energy and money towards things that like for instance that directly affect your PL, which is your profit and loss statement and for instance like yeah maybe i have just in time ordering for flour but for everything else for gummies there's a longer shelf life so and they sell you know they turn quickly so like let me make sure that i have like my hot my best sellers always in stock and i have a four-week supply because they're not going to go bad um but at the same time, it's like, okay, well, now how can I also improve my profits by maybe um, scheduling my receiving team um, on days where I'm, go I'm going to have a heavy load of delivery? So you're not just like saying, hey, I need somebody that's always going to be in our operations and our receiving team there eight hours a day, always doing that. Maybe it's um, only Mondays and Tuesdays between the hours of 10 and 4 that you're expected to have large deliveries because you're getting your vendors to deliver on those days and you have a plan. And maybe on Fridays you don't take deliveries and you just use the time to um, catch up on receiving all the inventory because in metric you only have like 24 hours before you can like report like a missing – like you have to report any missing inventory or oh, yeah. any, any uh, like a – you know, whatever, you ordered one thing and they sent you something else, you only have like a certain time frame to do that. But if you're constantly just receiving orders and and you're not able to get out of that and you're kind of drowning, you set, you, it's easy, it's, it, I've seen it work better when you set parameters. Now, of course, there's always going to be like, hey, we're driving down from Santa Cruz and we can only get there on Wednesdays. And, you know, of course, there's those kinds of exceptions that you make. Um, but you, there's no reason why you should have somebody in your receiving team sitting there on a Wednesday at four o'clock, um, just waiting for a delivery that's never going to get there. And that yeah. comes from the communication of the buyer being like, Hey, this is what your schedule is going to look like this week. So, um, you can plan your labor. Or if you're like, Hey, you're not receiving anything today. Would you like to be a bud tender on the floor and maybe help our consumers? Or would you like to maybe reorganize our back stock room? Like you kind of like use that downtime to, to perfect other process um, and processes. I think when you become an expert in process, you say processes um, <laughs> versus process processes. Um, and so, um, Anyway, it's so like a pinky I think, up when you drink too. Exactly. <laughs> Processes. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's huge. Um, it's such a balance as a business owner. It's like you don't want to process something out to perfection for clients that you don't have, but you don't want to go out and just sell, 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 and then be a hot mess operationally and then have your entire business collapse yeah, and dude, so like, and the consumer sees right through it man they know yeah. they can tell like they can tell when you're like "Ooh, wait you're we're, we're out of stock on this hold on and then they'll like go to the bag and be like oh wait we do have which get like how you know how that there's a joke where it's like well do you have it in the back and you're like no like everything is out on the floor but like we've trained the customer to ask oh well do you have it in the back because like you have a not so great process and you probably do have it in the back. <laughs> so 
Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, it's a good point about the customer experience, right? And that, that totally. comes down to, you know, in, impacting repeat business. Yeah, and loyalty and, like, with how much, so much competition and regulation around where dispensaries can be built and where they can operate and which landlord is going to um, rent their space to you um, or in some some municipalities some municipalities and cities and areas um you know a lot of the dispensaries are kind of crunched into like one area and you're like well I can throw a stone and go to any one of these dispensaries what's really going to keep me coming to these dispensaries is going to be your customer experience it's going to be consistency in product it's going to be consistency consistency and newness of product um you know pr uh, a pricing strategy that makes sense and like not necessarily just pricing something or reducing the cost of something to gain a temporary consumer because trust me they're going to all the different stores on all the different days and they're buying the things that they need because it's cheaper there because we're training them to do that but if we're keeping a good customer experience and loyalty and consistency they're going to just keep coming back and they may be willing to pay the extra four or five dollars for the product that they the hero product that they always buy because they know that they're gonna get a consistent experience every time they walk in there yep yeah it's so true and especially now i think people's buying power you know it's been limited with the economy and so it's even more important like with the little bit of money we you know we hand over that sure. we want to feel like we're having a good experience that I'm getting quality for my money, you know, either, or I'm getting a great deal or I'm getting the, you know, like it's, it's that entire experience that, that can make or, or break a business. Absolutely. Yeah. You got it. You're an expert. Hey, well, <laughs> well, we got some really fun ones up next. I'm going to put you through the lightning round before Ooh. we wrap up. So um, five questions. You've got 10 seconds to answer. Um, so this one's going to be fun. You ready? Yes. <laughs> All right. What's your favorite way to ingest marijuana? Oh, I am um, a smoker. Yes. Totally. And then pre-rolls has made it really easy for me. Yes. Flower. Mm -hmm. Dabs have been killing me. I don't know if it's because I live in Denver and yeah, <laughs> I'm starting to sound like a 58-year-old smoker so <laughs> who's your favorite band Ooh, good question oh my gosh that's in ooh. okay does it have to be band or can it be like performer oh any yeah performer okay. would work yeah I think my favorite performer is going to be Beyonce which is like yes uh, just like yeah like come on like obviously I was going to say that but no I'm kidding um she is just amazing and I love seeing all her shows. So she's my favorite. Yeah, no, I'm obsessed. Obviously. Um, I actually have her name tattooed on me. Fun fact. No way. Cool. <laughs> that's, that I have to edit that. I have to edit that out. I can't tell people out loud. <laughs> all right. Hey, Beyonce. Hope you're listening. All right. What's your hidden talent? Um, my hidden talent would be Oh my God, I only have 10 seconds. I'm freaking out. Um, <laughs> my hidden talent, you know, actually I'm a um, really, really good um, joint roller. And I learned um, back when I was like 24 living in New York and I lived with my roommate and we would just like smoke a lot. And he was like, you need to learn because this is not this, I can't be rolling joints for us. So the thing is though, is that I don't roll them 
um, in the traditional way, I'm a back roller, which means that you use less paper and um, you also like need a certain, like you just have to roll it differently um, and you, it, you use less paper so you like smoke less of the carcinogens, I guess. But that's how I learned to roll joints and I never felt more independent in my life than when I learned how to properly roll a joint. Um, but now, Hell I'm lazy, yeah. now I'm lazy and I buy pre-rolls, but still, um, that is a hidden talent that people are like, oh my God, I didn't even know you could roll. And I was like, yeah, but I yes, we all need mm-hmm. one in the group that like in five seconds, whoop, 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 mm-hmm. you yep. know, gets it done. Um, I grew up rolling backwards, but I've graduated to joints. <laughs> I can't roll blunt for my life. So you're, you're needed as my group of friends. <laughs> How do you cope with stress at work? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, um, really, I like, I just talk about it. I'm like, anyone's going to listen. I'm going to tell you about it. Um, so, and I recently have, um, hired or I'm working with a career slash life coach. So he has been super helpful in being able to navigate through the stresses and the ups and downs and the fast and the, the feast and the famine of being a consultant. Um, and yeah, I think I'm just, I, I'm a verbal person. So and visual. So I just like, well, um, I'm, I'm going to talk to you. If you want to listen, I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if, if you've had a bad day, you're going to go down the street and find anybody. <laughs> Literally. Hello. I'm like, yeah. I'm like a cashier at CVS. You want to hear my problems? I'm going to tell you. Yeah. Um, and I do, you know, that's why I watch Real Housewives. I love some good drama. You can call me anytime. Uh, what's your favorite part of working in cannabis? Uh, I would say the relationships that I've built and like the friendships I've made. Um, the community is strong. Like we're like, we're like all like competing, but we're not. And like, we're still, we're still like, it's like us still all us against the world. Um, yep. And but also everybody has their individual goals. And of course there's, you know, there's that competitive spirit, but there's also a camaraderie. And I think that I have worked with probably some of the brightest and best um, people that I've ever worked with. And like, they're also passionate about what they're doing and they're passionate about the plant. So it's um, that, that's definitely my favorite part. And um, being able to like bring, to just like normalize the process and normalize the scene um, makes it, really enjoyable for me that's huge it is mm-hmm. it's fun it, yeah the community I mean I I do email events and websites right but my background is I'm a field marketer right so we do events we drive a lot of revenue and we're promoting that through email marketing and whatnot and but events are the lifeblood of anything and what's what what's cannabis without the community and so that's part of why you know I still help with event management and whatnot because I love bringing people together and I love the cannabis community I think it, you're right it's it's not it's not like any other industries and um, I think as somebody who's been you know uh, a cannabis connoisseur for a long time it's it's really cool and special to be part of the industry now as it starts getting more sophisticated and and legalized in more states and you know i want to be part of making it a mature and badass industry that will benefit everybody and part of that is getting more women in cannabis so i'm glad that you're here doing what you're doing thank you so much Kristen. and what a fun podcast you've created <laughs> yeah 
Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. You're a badass. Can't wait to follow you on your journey and I'll be cheering you on. And um, again, I think it's really cool to see you transition from retail clothes to retail cannabis and make such a big impact with big brands like, I mean, MedMen and other other people in the industry that you've been able to impact. So um, if you're in growth mode, if you're looking to market yourself like a badass, download this episode, start building your badass cannabis business plan today. And if you need help or resources, check out our market like a badass group or the show notes. I'm going to drop links to Sarah's social handles, all of that information. That way you can easily find her. But um, Sarah, in your own words for our listeners, um, where can our listeners find and follow you? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I am pretty vocal on LinkedIn these days. Um, and my, uh, my, uh, URL is just linkedin.com slash Sarah Bakesh. I also have, um, my buying group, uh, website, which will explain many services and, um, kind of give you some case studies and like, understand like what kind of value you'd get from my group. Um, and that is bateshbuying.com. Um, and then really like send me an email cause I answer all my emails. So it's just Sarah, no H. Um, but actually you can send it with an H cause I did a rule after that. Um, so it's Sarah. Oh, very <laughs> smart. Yeah. I don't hold it against you. It's okay. You can spell the name however you want. I'll get it either way. Um, so it's Sarah at Bateshbuying.com. All right. Perfect. Yes. Reach out to Sarah and I can't wait to hear more success stories. In the meantime, follow us on Apple or Spotify or go to marketlikeabadass.media for the latest episodes of Market Like a Badass.